0: This is channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer.
1: There are systems of property and power that work here,
0: you know, and uh, and as
1: I said kind of earlier in the program or whatever, you know, like white Americans have consistently chosen um, power uh, over justice. Um, And that's unfortunate. Right. But that is a historical pattern. It's something we have to be honest about um, if we're serious about fixing the thing.
0: Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. This is the Nerd Farmer podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer podcast brought to you by Libro FM. My name is Nate and I'm your host, recording my final 2021 episode from here in Abu Dhabi. The next time you download the show, we'll be talking to Will James about his amazing, heartbreaking reporting about the Merkel Hotel in Tacoma and the people who were pushed out of there and what happened to them. But today's conversation is a talk with William Horn. William is an academic, and he is the founder and editor of Activist History Review. And he's on today to talk about a constellation of things. One thing that I appreciate about what I've seen of Will's writing is, is that he takes the disparate things that we're seeing happening in the news, the kind of isolated things, and puts them in a larger picture about the real deterioration and decay of democracy and the real danger that we face. And so, Will, I'm really excited for this. Welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, before we get going on what might be a slightly doomy conversation and like doom is what we traffic in sometimes. Uh, sure. What is Activist History Review?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so this was sort of born in the aftermath of the 2016 election. Um, and you know, part of the community of scholars that I was a part of uh, just decided we need to be doing more to communicate with everyday people. Um, and so the goal is to sort of build bridges, um, And help people get a better understanding of the the research that we do. Um, So we have readers, you know, everywhere from like sort of high school age people to like grandmas uh, to like, you know, formal stuffy academics and kind of everywhere uh, in between. And the goal is to sort of create conversations that help promote, um,
0: you know, civic well being, I guess. So what would be a typical article that would be in one year? Is is it quarterly or semi-annually? What's the frequency?
1: Um, We're we're switching to a quarterly. Uh, We've been doing monthly,
0: uh, but because of COVID, um, we just found that quarterly has worked better. Um, Yeah. Uh, So what would be a typical topic in the magazine?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So we're doing um, sort of a special issue right now on like, you know, scare quotes, like CRT uh, issues. Um, And what it means to teach about racism and white supremacy during this particular white backlash moment. I'm editing that issue personally. Um, and I can tell you like, there's some really good stuff there. Like we have some school board members talking about like what it's like to get death threats, you know, while also trying to make sure that they create equitable spaces in classrooms where we like learn things that happen, mind blowing stuff, right? Um, and so I think it's a, it's a cool opportunity to think about you know, the variety of people that go into that kind of work um, and think about the, um, you know, the impacts um, of of that work and the way that we can all contribute uh, our piece together.
0: You, you mentioned a word that I've noticed you use a lot in your communications. You talk about white backlash. And in fact, yeah. the, the reason why we're having this conversation is a tweet that you posted, part of a thread. I think I'll read that for the audience for context. Cool. Uh, and this stopped me in my tracks. <laughs> You said, last week during our last session of my white backlash graduate course, my students asked me if I thought the U.S. would descend into civil war during the next decade. I reply that the current situation is much more bleak than that. Here's why. And you go on to elucidate all the reasons and all the things that concern you. And we'll talk about those in, in a bit. But I think the thing I wanna hear about first is, tell me about this graduate course in white backlash. Yeah, thank you. That's a that's a great question. Um, I
1: guess we sort of look at, you know, white backlash movements from emancipation through the present, um, you know, and so there's a lot of reading. Our last reading uh, engaged uh, the 2016 election and the research that's come out since then. There's always kind of a lag in terms of, like, you know, the research, right, and so we're trying to sort of read through the present, uh, but the idea is that you you can see, like, patterns at work um, in these political movements uh, that we, you know, refer to it as white backlash movements um, and their impact on, like, state policies, and I think that that's really important because once we see these patterns, we can figure out how best to respond to those kinds of movements. Okay,
0: and so in what course of work, in, in what course of study does a white backlash like course fall in? Like if sure. I wanna go back and get a degree in history, is that where this is or is this sociology? Where is this?
1: Yeah, so this was an interdisciplinary course. Um, okay. and so I draw in um, political science, I draw in sociology, I draw in history because I'm a historian, uh, right? Um, So a whole bunch of different types of disciplines. And the goal is to really get, um, you know, a multifaceted uh, understanding of what white backlash is um, and frankly, how to stop it, how to prevent it.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so... uh I'm gonna say for the audience's benefit one of the things that I enjoy doing is learning it out loud and so we're gonna walk through some things that I'm very curious about and that mm-hmm. may be familiar to the audience in old turf but just know that like this is this is the path I, I'm fascinated by this conversation already um, I, I want to ask you about events in 2021 cool. from the Capital coup on January sixth to the CRT moral panic to everything we're seeing is this moment that we're living through is this just a historical white backlash like some sort of cyclical thing or is this like a, are we seeing a larger more meaningful erosion of democratic values and democratic norms or are we seeing both?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the short answer is both, right? Like, um, you know, we see. And they don't have to be cyclical. Right. But we do see cyclical white backlash movements because uh, white Americans prefer power over justice, like consistently in American history. And that's unfortunate. But, you know, that's something that we have the power to, like, not do. Um, but we are seeing that like sort of at the same time as we're seeing like a very dangerous and I would say, like, you know, technically evolved um suppressionist movement. And so we have, you know, uh, very sophisticated gerrymandering going on right now. We have very sophisticated um, data that's informing the laws that, you know, the voter suppression laws that, you know, came out over the summer that there was a lot of discussion about. Um, so really both, I guess, is the short answer. Uh, we're seeing like a changing of the potential political landscape going forward. Yeah. And that's really dangerous.
0: No, for sure, for sure. And I, and I think I wanna work through that danger from scale from local to national, but I want to go to this topic of white backlash really fast. Uh, I said that it was cyclical. You said something that's along the lines. So can can you talk about some of the historical moments that we've seen uh, that have provoked a white backlash? Like what are the moments in history or the actions in American politics that promote this period or like these kind of occasions?
1: Yeah, that's a really
0: great question. And there's like really
1: two big ones uh two big answers the first is an expansion of you know access to voting um or access to public services um those typically if you think of sort of like the brown ruling right in 1954 that expands um public school access for black americans like that uh created a massive moment of white backlash one that's kind of hidden um in its effects in part because like of white flight White people moved, created new districts, created new schools, and like you know, circumvented the Brown ruling. Right? They found a way to get around it. Um, the second piece uh, that I think is, uh, is equally important um, is sort of, and this is odd, um, but the, in the aftermath of wars, um, you tend to see things like this. So after the Civil War, uh, for example, Black soldiers who you know, fought for the Union side, fought against slavery, uh, fought against the Confederacy, they wore their uniforms after the war, you know, uh, and, uh, and white Americans just couldn't handle it. Um, and, you know, um, killed black Union soldiers, black Union veterans, um, you know, kind of indiscriminately um, as a result of that. And, and you can see that again after the Spanish-American War, or what we scholars call like the War of 1898, after World War I, after World War II, like there are all of these examples. It's, it's just one of these patterns, right? Um, and it's odd, right? That like the, the, this racism and nationalism goes hand in hand, You know, that like we have this massive patriotism that comes out of the war that goes along with racism, because that's not how we think of patriotism. But maybe we should think more carefully about what patriotism means.
0: Yeah. So... Even the term white backlash fascinates me because it's really only a term that I see in like academic writing from people like you and then like Carol Anderson's book, White Rage. And so mm. I, the, the answer to this may be obvious, but I just want to make sure I'm not crazy here. Why do you think this term does not like break into the dominant discourse? Like, why is this not a term that we talk about? Why Why are we always talking about like political polarization and all these sure. other terms instead of naming what it is?
1: You know, I was doing, it is sort of a silly story, it's a funny story, I guess, but um, I was doing the reading for this course, um, you know, just kind of refreshing, you know, with some of these books uh, over the summer, and I was reading in the park with my kids, one of my neighbors walks up, and I was reading Anderson's White Rage, and he was like, oh, I'm so filled with rage, and I was like, "I, what, why are you mad, you know, and, and then come to realize that he was upset with the title of the book, right, um, to call them white backlash, or to call it white rage, right, um, is to sort of, like, indicate a, you know, perhaps responsibility. Um, And I think uh, that's something that because of uh, the racist nature of our society, uh, white Americans uh, respond, um, let's say, not well to.
0: We're living in this moment of a white backlash that seems pretty obvious to me as an outside observer at this point. Right. and we're also living in an era of a critical race moral panic that's fueled by uh, the political right and by mainstream media being gullible about it i I wonder what kind of pushback do you get to your scholarship when you teach and talk about this either in the classroom or like elsewhere
1: um yeah thank you for that uh, I, and I, I'll preface this by saying that I never ever talk about my students um, but I will I'll, I will say like you know they are they're very good, respectful, engaged, you know, sort of like ideal students, I guess. Um, so if you picture in your mind, like the perfect student, those are my students and they're great. Um, but, I, I, you know, I just I don't feel like it's fair to talk about, you know, students, especially sure. um, in this particular context. Right. Um, but, you know, I I think the worst responses I get, to be honest, are, you know, either people that I grew up with, um, you know, people that know me, like I get threats from those people, which is weird um, and awkward. I'm like, I've known you since I was four. Why are you <laughs> threatening my, you know, physical well Um, And then like random people on the internet. And I mean, we all know how that goes. Like, that's fine. Um, but, you know, people who really like sit there and, and think through the stuff with you, like generally they're like, yeah, like, wow, I didn't know this. That's an okay response, you know, like, um, oh, you know, uh, this is really bad. That's an okay response, right? Like this doesn't have to be, you know, a situation where we all like know everything all the time, right. And, and are beyond, um, critique and beyond, you know, figuring things out, right. Like I'm figuring things out, you know, I think we all are, right. That's normal. Um, you know, and so I think, um, most of the time, like, you know, if people will sit there and listen to you for, I don't know, however long I've been talking, right. Um, they'll, uh, <laughs> They'll be fine, you know, and they'll, they'll realize like, oh, I'm not attacking you personally. Like there's just this larger system that we all exist and I exist in it, right? Like we all exist within this system,
0: you know, yeah. um, and what can we do about that? Yeah, nothing has brought the American caste system into relief for me as mm-hmm. in being outside of the United States and in a different caste system. So like sure. – If you're a new listener who like follows Will Online, hi, I'm Nate. I live in Abu Dhabi and have taught here since 2019. And so, as a black American here in Abu Dhabi, I enjoy basically the same treatment as other Americans. Essentially, like I'm treated as a Westerner. Like I have, for lack of a better term, the benefit of whiteness here, even though my skin is very, very dark. (laughs) And so having that privilege here helps me understand the racial caste system in the united states even more so and in particular when i go home and i can feel the difference between how i'm treated, or, treated overseas and how i'm treated back in my home country and so that's that's interesting uh, we ha- are talking about this concept of white backlash but one of the things that i understand I, I realize is is that when people are listening they actually don't know some of these stories like mm-hmm. it was crazy to me how many people like learned about what happened in tulsa from like True. the Watchmen, for example right. and so there's one of these incidents that I think is probably the most egregious. Could you tell my audience the story of what happened in Wilmington, North Carolina? It's out of control. It really is.
1: Um, you know, and this is this is late uh, for a lot of reasons uh, in terms of like the white backlash that happened in the South after the Civil War. So we're talking 1898, just like roughly 30 years, almost exactly 30 years after black Americans get the right to vote in most states um, and black and white sort of working class people come together, they create a coalition government, an interracial, multiracial, however you wanna put it, a coalition government that takes power in the state. Um, and in order to undermine that coalition, uh, right? White elites use the media, uh, which they owned, and I would say like still own, um, they use the media that they own uh, to, um, to drum up sort of like false rape charges against black men. Um, which they later admit were false um, and uh, and use that sort of like moral panic, I guess is maybe the right word, um, yeah. to massacre uh, people in Wilmington, uh, to overthrow the government after they won an election. Actually, they won using these race-baiting tactics. And they're like, actually, we still want to kill uh, these black North Carolinians and we're going to go do that, right? Um, really horrible stuff. And actually, like, honestly, if you just sort of like, I don't know, throw a ball or an apple or whatever, like almost anywhere in the U.S., you're going to see a similar story in that area. Like we have similar massacres at work in Atlanta, in St. Louis, in New Orleans, just all all over the place in like San Francisco. Right. The dynamics are different, like based on that location. Um, But this is unfortunately like one of the defining features uh, of American history, especially um, in the late 1800s and early 1900s.
0: Yeah. Even like folks in Tacoma were listening to this, like the Chinese exclusion and the Tacoma method. Like the reason why Tacoma doesn't have a Chinatown is, is we put all the Chinese workers on the rails and send them out of town and the mayor and the civic structure was 100% behind it. That's the story of Chinese reconciliation park. So I I want to go to the thread that you posted because that's that, that's the real like genesis of this conversation sure. and I, I want to kind of talk through things from the local level to the national level and kind of invert a pyramid. Mm-hmm. Something that I was struck by is that you have a view nationwide of things where like a given person may sit at home and watch Channel Eleven or Channel Thirteen or Channel Four and they see a thing happening in the news, but you were really you do a really good job of putting things that are happening in the news in a place and conversation with things happening elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm one of the elements that you brought up that I remembered or knew about, but like you gave new meaning to was the laws that have been passed about basically enabling citizen vigilantes to run over protesters. Mm, Right. What, what, what is the origin of these laws and how the hell were these passed? Right. I mean, this is
1: just, I don't know, like there's just no other way to say this than sick, right? Like this is sick. Um, And the origin, as far as I can tell, you know, and there are people who spend much more time studying this than I do. Um, is actually Charlottesville. Um, you start to see in the wake of the Charlottesville attack, you know, where that um fascist kid ran over, um, you know, uh, Heather Hire, killed Heather Hire and several, you know, critically injured several other protesters. Then you start to see um online in the in the following days, like references to car attacks, um, you know, and sort of celebrations of this different kind of white supremacist violence. You know, so I guess in a literal sense, right? Like, The idea for this, like, comes from a white supremacist terrorist attack on, you know, anti-fascist protesters in Charlottesville.
0: I'm gobsmacked, but but so, but okay, it's one thing to have radical white supremacists online talking about hey we want vehicle attacks which by the way are also the weapon of isis but like you know right. that's that's too much context right. how did we get to a point where states are actually passing laws enabling these and giving protections to drivers that do this yeah that, that's that's a good point and i think the connection there really um are the black
1: lives matter protests of 2020 um these are the again the kinds of protests where we tend to see um sort of a white backlash afterwards. This happened, you know, in the 1969, 19, early 1970s after the massive protests uh, that followed the, the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, in 1968. Um, and, you know, at the time I remember like talking to, you know, other people who study this stuff. And like one of our concerns is like, you know, if concrete reforms, you know, aren't like passed we're going to see like a, a massive white backlash to the protests, right? The protests are visible. They're in the streets, whose streets are streets. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, I think it's, it's a, it's a, you know, just as sort of like, quote unquote, all lives matter is a response to a retort against the idea that black lives matter the, you know, the, the sort of the bills that are, that are meant to like literally encourage, you know, white vigilantes to run over protesters, are almost a, sort of a call-in response to that, like, our streets claim the Black Lives Matter uh, protesters made in 2020. Um, it's incredibly dangerous, you know, and um, and we have seen, uh, unfortunately, an escalation of those types of attacks since nationally these kinds of bills uh, have started to be passed in Republican legislators, legislatures, excuse me,
0: yeah, well, well, but the thing is, is that like I feel like these vehicle attacks are actually not that far away from the Texas abortion law, where what mm. we're seeing is is the political right is basically creating an extra judicial system. Hard word to say, extra judicial system. There we go. Right. Um, <laughs> where like their own constituents and their own strongest supporters get to enforce the law, and become vigilantes. So. Sure. If there's a protest that you don't like, you can run your car through it. If a woman is having an abortion, then you can report her. And so are there other examples of this vigilante justice that we're seeing in American politics and American democracy that I'm not thinking about?
1: Yeah. Um, so this is one of the reasons, honestly, why uh, Governor Newsom's decision to um, mm. allow California citizens to sue um, people who you know violate California gun laws in various ways um, is, is just so horrible, right? Uh, because what it does is it uses that same logic that um, the, the Texas abortion bill uses. Um, that it goes back to this, like, I don't know, people probably haven't heard of it, but they, the, the Crookshanks ruling, um, you know, in the 1870s, the Supreme Court ruled essentially that, like, um, the federal government couldn't enforce the Bill of Rights, like, on citizens, right? Like, just individual people. And so individual people can go and, like, kill Black Americans. And, and so this ruling, in part, actually applied to a specific massacre, um, you know, where Black Americans got killed by white vigilantes. Um, and they they argued, the court ruled, in fact, that, like, this is fine, as long as it's not the state that's killing, you know, its own citizens, right? Then it doesn't count as violating the Bill of Rights, which is absurd, right? Um, <laughs> yes. But, like, this is the same logic, right? Like, that, you know... Roe exists, you know, but, like, we can overcome Roe, you know, read the Texas abortion ban, right? We can sort of overcome that by, like, just allowing individual citizens to, like, you know, wield their own brand of justice. And and the same thing, the same logic applies, um, you know, with with Governor Newsom's, um, you know, order. I I don't know. It's it's really dangerous. And I, I can't foresee a world, you know, this has been a weapon against Black equality for over a century. I just can't imagine that this is like a good thing to do. Um, yeah. Sorry, I know we were not talking about the Newsom thing, but it's just like, no, you're fine. It's no, been well, on well, my mind, I'm just like, what in the world are these people thinking? Like, I, I can't fathom a world in which this is going to play out well for like anyone.
0: Well, and so, so here's the thing is, is that when governor Newsom announced it, it's like that feel good. Yeah, we're going right. to own the cons. And it's right. that degradation of the discourse that yeah. has happened on the political right. We're like, yeah. we're playing gotcha at a boy. Like, yeah, our guys stick it to him politics. Right. Without thinking about the larger legal repercussions of what's happening. Yeah. Right. The, the, uh, the other thing is, is that like, my concern is, is that one of the aspects of American government, we don't talk enough about at the national level and the media level is federalism and states rights. Mm-hmm. And, one of the things that I think we're going to see the Supreme Court do, what the current majority is, is essentially protect the rights, the federal, sorry, the states' rights uh, that conservatives value, things like gun access and the rights for states to ban abortion, but then nuking the states' rights uh, kind of issues that progressives and liberals want, like gun control and like climate regulation, or like when California had their uh, fuel economy standards and the Trump administration nuked those. And so, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I totally agree. When I saw Gavin Newsom saying that, I was like, this is a terrible plan but so many people you think are smarter are like yeah Gavin, right. go ahead that's our guy and i'm just like yeah. no 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 <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah i I, just, I
1: don't know that like governing by trolling is in fact like you know a very good way of doing things um yep.
0: Well, and, and, and can i just say that nobody else does this like like right. i get, like holy shit can i get a technocrat please like like the, the 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 rise of populism in american politics and like government by trolling election by trolling like right. like it, 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 oh boy Yeah. <laughs> I I, I think this is time for a break we'll take a break (laughs) and I'm going to calm down a bit have some Gatorade hydrate and when we come back um, I want to we talk about kind of local stuff I want to move to some issues with state elections in particular on gerrymandering in Wisconsin which is egregious and then also the failures of the Democratic Party to take this seriously and respond to it so we'll be back And we are back. I want to thank you for downloading this show today. The Nerd Farmer podcast is brought to you by Libro.fm. They are my bookseller of choice. Libro.fm is an alternative to Amazon's Audible, and they will sell you all the audiobooks your heart desires. I'm currently listening to the book Dune Messiah, the second book in the Dune series. I'm not going to make it through all 85 or whatever it is, but it's a fascinating, fascinating listen. Uh, It's funny. I listened to the first book, and essentially, the second the movie ends, that book, it's very, very weird there's orgies there is a hallucinogenic spice wine and there's a talking baby and in book two you have more talking baby and a heel turn and a zombie character returning who i won't name but it's very fascinating and so if you are interested in the nonsense i just said check out doom messiah on libro fm if you join libro with promo code tacoma you get two books for the price of one for your first month and then ongoing credits will be $14.99 a month In addition, uh, I want to also remind you that this this show is a part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. We're a network of podcasts that tell stories and elevate voices and give voice to perspectives you won't get elsewhere in the media market. We would love for you to think about joining Channel 253 as a member. A membership costs $4 a month or $40 a year. And membership gives you access to our member-only Slack. And the member-only Slack is the best place to be. we're currently having a very heated conversation about some events in the local soccer world and some team moves that are happening and frustrating people. Uh, and in addition, the book recommendation and travel section are always popping. And so uh, check that out. Channel 253 slash membership, $4 a month or $4 a year. That's cheaper than a hot dog at the Red Hot. All right, well, we're back. Something that I just, just think is that goes without saying is, is that the events that we're talking about are not happening in isolation. So. Abortion vigilantism in Texas is mm-hmm. going to be replicated in other states. Laws right. permitting protesters to run over people have been passed in other states. Right. The, this is all being driven and essentially all seems very like anti counter democratic. And it's undergirded, it seems, by the fact that we have like rampant gerrymandering in states. You mm-hmm. talked in your thread about some of the gerrymandering that's happening. I, I I think that we talk about gerrymandering in the abstract and say, "Oh, gerrymandering is bad," but sure. but but the the application and deployment of gerrymandering and its ferocity is asymmetrical. Talk about Wisconsin for a bit, because Wisconsin is like the most egregious example possible, and the one that is my classroom.
1: Right? Yeah, Wisconsin is wild, um, and you know they're like the Republican uh, legislature under. Um, is it
0: rick scott is that right um i think so uh but their previous oh wait governor... in wisconsin oh yeah, yeah, yeah. who was it no, no rick scott's ah uh, oh, crap rick scott was the guy in michigan it was oh hold on we're gonna pause yeah. and get this right Doug. Scott hold Walker on. is that right yep that's it scott walker
1: ah yay <laughs> all right um so well sorry to michigan and wisconsin for getting you mixed up uh that's a terrible uh sin that i committed but um the uh but yeah so under scott walker right the um the legislature uh gets this supermajority um in Wisconsin and winds up passing you know some of the worst gerrymandering in the country um and you know i think if i remember right like something like 52% of the vote goes to democrats but 70% of the seats in
0: the legislature go to republicans i, I mean it's, it's like it's, 40 i think it's like what 64% of yeah yeah it's 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 whatever i will post the the numbers yeah. in in the in the show notes
1: Right. And yeah, so I, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but like the, the effect of that, though, like for people, right, like, you know, if, if in fact, like our government exists, like with the consent of the governed, like that simply isn't happening, like in Wisconsin, right? Like people do not have a voice in their process. In fact, like the very opposite is happening. Like some people, specific people with specific ideologies, like have, you know, um, a an outsized say in what happens in the state. But then also like how votes are counted in the state, like for national elections, like who can win, who can vote, how they can vote. Like these things are hugely important, you know, especially when we think about Wisconsin, you know, and other like, you know, quote unquote Rust Belt states being sort of like swing states or something like that. Right. Um, This is not good, uh, not good for democracy, like on the state level um, or nationally.
0: Well, and it provides an opportunity to lock in minority rules. So you have a situation in Wisconsin where you have a state in the last election that went for Joe Biden. You have a state that in the midterms uh, went for Tony Evers, the former education secretary in the state. And you have a state that at the same time somehow has a supermajority Republican legislature that is just passing nonsense and nonsense and nonsense. Right. And that same thing is being replicated across the country. And I... One part that I of your thread that I really appreciated and just I, I can't get I can't stop getting over is the mm. extent to which Democrats are failing to take any of this seriously and combat it. Yeah. Right. How do you? Well, okay, let's back up for a second. You're a historian, so sure. what happens to a party or a faction who does not take seriously uh, how, for lack of a better term, how serious their rivals are about ruling them uh, through mm. authoritarian means? Yeah, it's a really good question.
1: So like after Reconstruction in the, the Jim Crow South is a decent example, a sort of a case study maybe, um, and you see like the party of white supremacy, which was the Democratic party at the time, um, you know, coming to power, making it almost impossible for Republicans to even vote um, in the Deep South. Um, and the result is that there simply are no Republicans, right? Um, and so by the time of the civil rights movement, like, you know, where are um, sort of like the, the the Black voting rights activists trying to vote? in the democratic party because it's literally the only party right mm-hmm. um in that in that region um you know and so if we were to sort of look at something nationally um as as you know a, a product of a similar system like you know just just consider like nationally democrats maybe couldn't hold power maybe they would be like you know sort of the opposition party in russia like having you know i don't know um you know just Almost no seats, right? Um, and almost no governing power or voice. Like that, that's possible. And that's possible because of gerrymandering and because of rigging the systems um, that, you know, that count votes and that, that register people to vote and all of those things, right? Um, to favor Republicans.
0: And the thing is, is that, like, it's not like we're talking about favoring a Republican party that is a, uh, that is a, a, a rational party at this point. Sure. Like there's been a radicalization of the Republican party that I think members of the media don't take seriously. And again, you've right. talked about this in your writing. Uh, yeah. What, are, what do you think is driving this radicalization? Like is this radicalization just white backlash or an echo chamber like left uh, – sorry, right-wing media? Like mm. what is causing this radicalization and why does the media not seem pay- capable of like processing it and communicating it to the public? You know, that's a really
1: good and really complicated question. Um, and honestly, the the thing that bothers me the most, and we could talk about, you know, parts of it um, for hours, but the thing that bothers me the most, I think, is that we have just a total failed way of disseminating information in our country, mm. we have no way to hold, you know, misinformers accountable, period, full stop. Like, there's just nothing, right? They, they can misinform however they want to, right? And we even see that with with COVID, right? Like, you know, people drinking bleach and all kinds of horrible things, um, you know, because there's no way, you know, uh, under the way that the court has, um, you know, has interpreted the first amendment um, and with the court that we have being a very conservative um, activist, conservative court, um, there's simply no way to sort of hold these right-wing misinformers accountable. Um, and so you do have kind of an echo chamber effect um, and I'd like to think that's a big part of it. That's definitely not the only part of it, um, you know, and uh, and that's something for us to keep in mind. There are systems of property and power at work here,
0: you know, and uh,
1: and as I said kind of earlier in the program or whatever, you know, like white Americans have consistently cho- chosen um, power uh, over justice. Um, and that's unfortunate. Right. But that is a historical pattern. It's something we have to like, be honest about um, if we're serious about fixing the thing.
0: But I feel like it's worse than that. Like if the zombified corpse of Ronald Reagan in his prime ran for office on the same policy platform, he couldn't get the nomination of the Republican Party today. And like honestly, if Pat Buchanan, who was who was just like dog whistling on his way to the nomination in 92, uh, he, he probably wouldn't – well. I guess, no, the I guess, I guess that's actually it. I'm thinking the answer right now is the Buchanan wing of the party basically has one and taken power, right. yeah. but we're treating them like the, like the Reagan wing. Man, that's okay. Right. All right. Well, I mean, I, I, I think, it's, I think yeah. it's actually the same
1: wing, to be honest with you. Um, you know, and I've been Ooh, unpack that. Yeah, say more. No, well, I mean, so I've been reading, you know, uh, a lot of kind of, um, I guess, black intellectual responses to Reagan, um, you know, so like mid to early 1980s type of uh, – type of books uh because I'm just sort of trying to figure out like there that's a moment of you know massive national political upheaval right mm-hmm. um and that's the origin of like some of our worst sort of state structures today like being mass incarceration and things like that right um and so like what do these thinkers have to say about that right and and one of the things that they like consistently worry about um is the rise of authoritarianism you know um and I, I guess I wonder you know in some respects, You know, people today say, you know, if Trump had been simply, like, halfway competent, right, he's lazy and incompetent, you know, that maybe he could have, like, you know, become an authoritarian, right, which I think most of us understand is, like, one of his ultimate goals, you know, and I guess the same question we might raise for Reagan, right, like, if if Reagan, you know, um, hadn't had early stage Alzheimer's, which we know now he did, right, in the White House, like, you know, would we have, you know, would that presidency have played out Um, in the ways that it did you know we had like the I don't know the administration doing like brazenly illegal things you know the Iran-Contra affair is like a really famous example and there's tons of examples like that which I didn't you know I'm more of a 19th early 20th century historian and so like as I'm reading these thinkers I'm like oh man I I need to like learn more about this this is wild right Um, and man the the extent to which like we are reaping the politics of Reagan um, into you know To a lesser extent, perhaps like, you know, further back in time, extent Richard Nixon, um, I think is uh, is something that we're still coming to terms with.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Man, There's so many different avenues to go down. I I, I think what I want to do here is I want to go to listener questions because there's a couple of duties that came in. Uh, The first one that I want to put in front of you is from Carlos Hernan sorry, Carlos Herman. And, uh, he basically has like this kind of preamble about vigilantism and policing, but mm-hmm. like the core of the question is, is what role does pop culture play in the white backlash?
1: Yeah. And that, that's a great question. And also like, you know, uh, I just want to shout out Carl cause we went to high school together. <laughs> um, so oh, we, awesome. uh, It's you know, it's like, we, you know, had a lot of the same history teachers and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a really important question. There's all kinds of ways to answer it. Um, you know, and, you know, so people from like Cydia Hartman, uh, who like works in the 19th uh, century, early 20th century, have talked about the ways that, um, you know, uh, I guess minstrelsy has impacted, um, you know, American culture kind of through today. Honestly, a lot of our sort of even contemporary culture are, are, is shaped heavily by minstrelsy, which is weird and a gross conversation, maybe for another time. Um, but there's, you know, I don't know, stuff from, from the course, um, you know, that, uh, that, we, that we read together. Um, so like the, uh, the white backlash, um, immigration, race, and American politics, um, you know, by, and I'm going to, I hope I pronounced their names right, uh, Marisa abrahano uh, and Zoltan Hajnal. Um, they argue that, uh, in fact, simply reporting about um, Latino immigration, just reporting about it um, shifts like white voters, 7% towards the Republican party. It's when you think about like national elections being, um, you know, I don't know, sometimes a few thousand votes in some places. I mean, that is is a huge margin, right? You know, so we're talking about like, you know, popular conversations, uh, you know, the consumption of media, uh, shifting in substantial ways, um, the, the ways that white voters behave, um, and particularly, Um, sort of
0: amplifying their racist ideas about the world. Okay. So next listener question comes from Raghav Kashik, and he says, can you describe what it would take to take the fight to right-wing authoritarianism, uh, specifically the role of electoral politics and the role of nonviolence?
1: Yeah. Um, So... I'm, I'm going to interpret nonviolence here to mean like to include self-defense. Um, yeah. and, and I think that most of the sort of big civil rights leaders, although we don't talk about it that way in the, the white U.S., like viewed nonviolence in that way. Right. Um, and so I think like, you know, what Dr. King called like a militant nonviolence uh, means a willingness to, you know, either go on strike to, you know, really shut down uh, the body politic, you know, in creative ways, you know, sit-ins, um, you know, marches, things like that, um, with the goal of bringing things to a halt. Um, and so this is something that's very disruptive, uh, but it is a tactic that, you know, that has historically uh, been effective when used alongside uh, other tactics. Um, so, you know, I think that that, you know, we're thinking about sort of a, if we are imagining like a, a white, right wing takeover of the American state, which is something I worry about. And I think, you know, the thread suggests that we're poised for, for that sort of um that sort of future. Um there is an alternative future, right? Where people, you know, take to the streets in mass, right? Where we aren't intimidated by these run over the protester laws um, or these you can be arrested if you protest laws, right? In places like Florida. Um, where we're not intimidated by this I and mean, we all just sort of take to the streets and and resist, you know, and, and reject this idea that we can then we can be controlled in this way, right? Um, and, and that has worked in other places as well. Um, it's also something that's like risky, you know. Um, and that's something that I think is, I don't know, that, that I want us to be to acknowledge, right? Is that like we are in a dangerous situation. Um, and as it progresses, like it will only get more dangerous. Um, because that that's that's simply how white backlashes operate. Um and and if we're to like find a way forward, you know, it is increasingly becoming more dangerous. Um,
0: Something to consider. (laughs) No, no. And and there's so many states that like in our lifetime, like not that long ago, were democracies that are now procedural, just democracies in name only. Sure. authoritarianism rises up and then like the people aren't prepared and the end result is you do have Turkey's Erdogan or Erdogan's Turkey or or you have Hungary. Um, yeah. I, I, I think a closing question that I'm really curious about is, is that in the original tweet, basically you were asked about a civil war within the next 10 years. Sure. And you said the current situation is more bleak than that. Sure. So, what is more bleak than this than a civil war?
1: Right, and, and I guess I want to preface my answer by saying like, civil wars are really bad and miserable, Correct. And we should not have them. <laughs> um, that would be great uh, to not have them. Um, but no, the reason that I think it's more bleak than that, in fact, is because you know what what it looks like. You know, the just based on the the backlash that we're enduring, right, and, and based on the laws that have been passed, um, you know, especially at the state level by Republican legislatures. You know, we are poised for more of a Jim Crow style um sort of single party rule. Um, and based on this single party, um, that's a white supremacist party, uh, and it is one that has embraced authoritarianism under the leadership of Donald Trump. You know, and so it's it's a cult of personality party. Um, there there's there's a word for that, right? It's fascism. Um and that is worse than a civil war. You know, civil wars are bad. Right, um, civil wars are, are, you know, instances where we have options, though. Right, um, they're not always good options. Often, they're you know really miserable options. Um, but you know, an authoritarian regime, one with the power of the American state um, and its military, right, and its police force, that is one that is absolutely devastatingly dangerous. Um, that that is a future that I, I shudder to imagine.
0: If I can just add one coda to that. Um When people say a rising authoritarian state in the United States, as a black American, I think about authoritarianism as basically a return to the regression to the mean. My mother was born in Arkansas in 1940. My father was born in Mississippi in 1930. And for the first chunk of their life, the United States was an authoritarian state one for black Americans, at least one of the people who I love uh, following is a guy on, on, on Twitter named Bitcoin Zay. And he says, I don't respect no laws that were passed before 1965 (laughs) because that was pre-voting rights act. And so essentially the United States has only been a multiracial democracy since like my mom was 25 years old. And since I was negative 14 years old, and we're in danger of losing that in the next couple of elections, if we don't do something.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Man. All right. I, I, that's not uplifting, but I, think, no, it's it's a place to, I yeah. think it's a good place to leave things for right now. Sure. Uh, I would love to have you on the show down the road. Like I have a lot of thoughts about the upcoming midterms and yeah. it might be, it might be fun, air quotes, fun to debrief right. uh, what happens there in 2022. Uh, yeah. If people want to subscribe to activist history review, where can they look? Um, just
1: go to activist uh, Um And uh, You'll be able to see all the goods.
0: It's also on Twitter. Plug the Twitter for it also too. Also on
1: Twitter, that's true. Act History Review.
0: Um, okay. Yeah. And so. if people want to follow you personally on the socials and see more of your writing, where can they look?
1: I am at W-I-H-O-R-E-E. Um, and uh,
0: I think that's that's the best. Yeah, it's the best place to find me. All right. I want to thank you for coming on and having a conversation like this. This is not uplifting, but like it's been helpful for me to solidify some things that like I see happening. And also I hope the audience enjoys the wrong word. Hope the audience learns from it as well.
1: Thank
0: you. All right. I want to give a shout out to Sergeant John Delgado, to Gary L. Smith and Detective Michael Schusser, the people from Tacoma Police Department and the Pierce County Sheriff's Department who are monitoring my show. Thanks, fellas, for listening. Wakanda forever, y'all. Please get a booster. Go Sounders and convict the police that killed Manuel Ellis. Channel 253 is a member supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. This is my favorite episode in a very long time, Nate. <laughs> I appreciate so that. Thank you. <laughs> Doug is famous for just wanting to just embrace the Doom and roll in the Doom, and so. I'm a a realist. Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 podcast network. Check out our other shows. Interchangeable White Ladies, Give Me the Mic, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.